This is Coffee Shop Conversations with Forrest Day. I am Forrest. Really appreciate you listening to the show. Today, you and I are going to learn a little bit about screenwriting from Paul Chitlick. Paul is an American author, television and a film writer, a producer, and a director. Paul, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got your start, some of the projects that you've worked on and so forth. I've worked in everything from a bakery to a micro deli in London to a Kelly girl as a temporary secretary. All these things are things that writers should probably do to kind of broaden their base and understanding. I was also a, a, a roustabout in a circus for a couple of weeks. Hardest work I ever did, bar none. Roused about is the guy that does everything that nobody else does. I put up the tent. Uh, this was for Circus Vargas. So it was a, a three-ring circus, huge tent. Uh, I took down the tent. I put in the, the seating. I took out the seating, all that kind of stuff. Heavy, heavy work. Wore through leather gloves the first day. This was in my 30s when I was writing a novel about the circus. So... I've worked as an ESL uh, instructor and uh, college administrator. And one day I was standing at the board, uh, substituting for one of my teachers. And I had at that time, 14 teachers working under me and 45 student aides. And I said to my, there was a little voice in my head that said, this is not the plan. The plan was to become a novelist. So I looked into how much a novelist makes and it was an average in this whole country of $850 a year. And that takes into account the guys that make millions and the guys that make nothing. So you can tell it's a pretty low paying job. And at that time I was making pretty good money and had a couple of cars and a nice apartment in Hollywood. So I decided to look into screenwriting, took a couple of courses at UCLA extension and decided to quit my job after saving up for six months and figuring I would have six months worth of of support and took me only two years to make a living as a screenwriter <laughs> after that. But uh, then I did, I made a living for the next 20 some odd years as a screenwriter. And then uh, one day my girlfriend at the time, this was after my first divorce. I've only had one, I should say it was after <laughs> my divorce. My girlfriend at the time, who was also a screenwriter, she wrote one hour dramas and she called me up and said, uh, a friend of mine, teaches at UCLA professional program. He wants me to teach in that program because he's going to go run a show in Montreal, but I don't know how to write a feature film. Can you do that? And I said, well, yeah, sure. I've written several feature films. So I got recruited to, to work at UCLA. And from there, I worked in all their programs. They have three screenwriting programs. One is their extension. The other is their professional program in screenwriting. And the third is their MFA in screenwriting. So I've taught in all three programs. And I did that for a couple of years. And then I got recruited to teach at Loyola Marymount University, teaching comedy writing. And I was teaching at both universities at the same time for oh, a couple of years. And then I got offered a, a full-time position at uh, LMU. So I've taught for 20 years, but I've also written everything that there is to write in television. Reality shows, commercials. MOWs, comedy shows, one-hour dramas, one-hour comedies, things like Real Stories of the Highway Patrol, which is not necessarily uh, your greatest stuff. Sex with Cindy Crawford, which I always think is a, is a great title, but it wasn't that great of work. I mean, it was about 
opening up the discussion of sex with teenagers. That was her, her job at that particular time. And since then, I've also done workshops around the world and taught in universities and film schools around the world, including uh, Cuba, Mexico, Venezuela, Chile, Australia, France, Spain, and Italy. So I've been a busy boy. And I just got back yesterday from Phoenix, where I gave a presentation on rewriting for the Phoenix Screenwriters Association. So I'm a busy guy. In addition to, I've written two books on screenwriting. One is called Rewrite, and the other is called 39 Steps to Better Screenwriting. So both are available at mwp.com and amazon.com. The Rewrite has just been re-released as a, or a second edition. Correct. So it's, a, yeah, it, it now encompasses television, short uh, films, and just about anything that uh, is out there today. The methods of screenwriting apply to all the different genres. How young were you when you realized you wanted to write? Now, I know you wanted to be a novelist in the beginning, but was this something even as a kid you wanted to do? No. Well, I, I did it as a kid, uh, unthinkingly. When I was in sixth grade, I think is my first writing, we had a project on the early days of man. So I was writing, I wrote a play for to present to the class on how cavemen lived. No idea really how cavemen lived, but I wrote a play and I recruited some students in the, in the class to, put, to participate. So I was about 11 years old at that time. But I didn't really think about writing as a career till I was in my last year of college. And I thought, my dad asked me, what do you want to do when you graduate from college? Because he was looking forward to see, to me making a living and getting off of his payroll. And so uh, I said, well, I think I want to be a, a novelist professor or professor novelist, whatever you call it. As it turned out, I was neither for a very long time. I started, I wrote my first novel, I guess, when I was in my early 20s, 22, 23. It was terrible. Wrote another one in my late 20s, also terrible. And it wasn't until I, until I quit my job as a ESL uh, administrator, I was about 36 or 37 when I did that. So that's when I started writing for television. And I wrote for television through my uh, late 30s and into my early 50s. And then, then again, uh, in my 60s, I did a film at LMU. They provided instructors with a soundstage and all the equipment that we needed, and we could recruit students to work on the film. So I recruited uh, not only students, but I recruited the head of the cinematography department to be my cinematographer, the head of the sound department to be my sound man. And I used all the resources that were available at the university to produce a film called The Wedding Dress. It was available on Amazon Prime, and I'm working right now to get it available on other streamers. Did you write that one? Did, did I wrote, say... produced, and directed. So <laughs> I was a busy guy. And we had originally budgeted for a 12-day shoot. But when my star called me the week before we were supposed to start, she said, I got another job that pays, but I can o so I can only work nine days. So we shot a, a feature film in nine days. Yeah, it was kind of crazy. You write day. a book about that one, too. Yeah, you could. Uh, we shot it usually using at least two cameras, sometimes three cameras at the same time. 
So uh, that cuts down the amount of setups that you have to mm -hmm. do. It takes uh, longer to set it up for three cameras, but once you do, you can get all your coverage at one time. I'd imagine setting up for your lighting and your audio must have been a little bit more of a challenge doing that. It is exactly that. But fortunately, I had people, the, the person that was the main grip was a very, very well ex experienced cinematographer. The cinematographer was the head of the department. They worked together and have worked together before and since. So they knew what they were doing and it made it a lot easier to, to film. And we had people that were operating the cameras that were the best in the school in, in camera operation. And I brought down an art director that I knew well, I've known since college, who was an art director at a, a public station up in San Francisco. So he was my, my production designer. And I had um, all kinds of other people that I recruited to be in the, in the film. We used furniture from the school. We used furniture from my home, all kinds of things. My wife, when she first saw the film, said, I, wait a minute, wait a minute. Where did that come from? We have one just like that. And I said, that, that is the one we have. Yeah, and I distinctly remember telling you not to take that one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Well, that's, that's just using your resources, looking around at resources that you may have, and, and they're out there. Yeah, this is something I tell my students, or I used to tell my students, was to get your foot into the, to the door of making films, make a film. And you can do it on an iPhone if you have to, or you can do it on a very small camera that you rent or buy. You have more resources than you think you have, just like you were saying. Uh, make a short film, make it 15 minutes. Don't make it a longer film than that because for, for the competitions and the film festivals, that's what they like, 15 to 18 minutes. And use all the resources you possibly can. Film it if possible in your own house and you can make it look well decorated uh, you can use several rooms in the house, whatever you need to do, and just have two or three characters at the most and write a story that fits in that small world and uh, make it interesting and different. And you can do it for $500, About anybody can afford that. To go to your point about take what's around you, and we shot one in my backyard. My wife grows a lot of flowers. And we mm. got a little bench and made it look like they were in a park. When I watch it, I'm like, that's our yard. It looks like a park. So <laughs> it, with just a little creativity and kind of framing with your hands, just seeing what you're going to see, exactly. uh, I think you can really do a lot. That's some great advice, Paul. I'm glad other people see that, too. I appreciate that. Yeah, uh, filmmaking is can be very tough, but it doesn't have to be. Mm -hmm. And if you plan well and you use resources that you already have, you can make it on a budget and you can do something that's extraordinary just in 15 minutes. And I think that's that's the way to go. A lot of television, people think television is, is long. A uh, half hour television is really only 22 minutes and 30 seconds. So if you do that, if you make a film that's 18 minutes, that's perfectly reasonable and you can tell a story in that. If you have more resources and more time and you can recruit more actors, you can make a feature film for under $100,000, a lot under $100,000 if necessary. And I wouldn't recommend using an iPhone, but you certainly can. And there have been several films that were successful 
um, using an iPhone. I do believe Steven Soderbergh made a film with an iPhone. I can't remember the title right now, but, you know, he's one of the best directors and cinematographers there is. And he did it all on a, on a phone. It's an mm-hmm. amazing. There was one a couple of years ago that came out that was shot, shot on an Florida. iPhone. Yeah, and they, yeah. They rode the uh, they rode a bike as a dolly, and they did all of that. Exactly. Used what they had and shot it really cheap. Well, I have friends who want the best camera, the best this, but how many times do you go to a movie and ask yourself, you know, know what kind of camera it was? You don't. If you're in a good story, you don't care what the camera is. It's all about the story, and I'm glad you brought that up. It's all about the story, mm-hmm. and if the story is bad, it doesn't matter if you're shooting in 70 millimeters or surround sound. It doesn't matter if you have everything, all the equipment necessary. If the story's not good, the, the movie's going to fail anyway. But if the story's good, people overlook any mistakes you have. Think about the Blair Witch Project, which was made on a shoestring. And it's all about the story. It's not about what camera they used because they used a shitty little 16 millimeter camera. Yeah. And, you know, they shot it all in just a couple of days. But the story was gripping. That that film made over $200 million. It was amazing. But they shot it for, you know, chicken feed. I think they worked on people's primal fears on that one. Which... Yeah, they certainly did. Yeah. And they didn't show you the witch. Mm. That's and, right. You know, you don't have to show the scary parts. That's something to keep in mind, too. You create fear by the sound, by the, the, the characters talking about it. But you never see the the Blair Witch, so you don't really know. I mean, there's a lot of films that have done that. With monster films, sometimes don't show the monster till near the end when there's the final challenge. So story is is the most important element in film. Second most important element is probably casting. I would say that's even more important than the kind of camera or even the direction. If you have a good story and good casting. It can almost make itself with the director just being the traffic cop. So you don't really have to know that much about directing. Although, of course, the more you know about directing, the better you're going to do it. The more you know about story, the better you're going to do it. The better your actors are, the better your film's going to be. But there's degrees. And if you, when you start out, make a couple of bad films. It doesn't hurt. Find your way through... And then you can look at the film and say, oh, I did that wrong. I did that wrong, but I did that right. And so I'm going to do that again. And in my next film, I'm not going to do that wrong thing wrong. I'm going to do it right now that I see how it worked out. So practice makes perfect in just about every endeavor you do. And certainly in film, the more you do it, the better you're going to be. So if you make several short films, eventually you'll be able to make a long film and you'll be able to understand well, I can put the camera here, I can put the camera there, you know, and I can let the actors act. I don't have to tell them everything to do. They can act. I don't have to tell the set designer everything he has to do or she has to do. They can do that as long as my script is clear. And so it always starts with a script. And everybody knows that now because we just settled the Writers Guild strike that went on for, what, 146 days, I believe it was, something like that. Yeah. And shut down Hollywood because you can't make a film with 100 blank pages. They have to have writing on them. That's my pitch for writers. That's our timestamp for for this interview is today, right? Today the strike ended. Correct. So, so that's uh, that was good news. That's good news uh, for all the writers news. out there. Who was a writer that 
has inspired you? Well, a lot of writers inspired me, but I would say my favorite writer is Aaron Sorkin. He knows how to write dialogue and conflict in scenes where you be- you wouldn't believe that there would be conflict in a scene. He, he knows how to do exposition in a way that is interesting. If you watch an old episode of West Wing, for example, you'll see two people walking. This is his signature. Two people walking down the corridor talking. Now, they're doing exposition all over the place, but with conflict. So that's what gives the scene its its charge is conflict. And if you don't have it, you don't have a scene. But usually when you're doing exposition, it's very hard to get the conflict. But he knows how to do that every time. And he knows he 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 writes from a, a point of view of uh, I'm looking for the word here, benevolence. He wants people to understand things and to feel things and to be better people from watching his his work. That is a hero of mine. William Goldman is also another hero of mine, and his work is is fantastic. And he was also a novelist. So as a novelist and a screenwriter, that's what I aspire to be. You know, I do write novels, and you can get those again on Amazon.com. But um, I think that if you write, if you have some writers that have the skill and the intelligence and the benevolence because writers want to change the world i think that's what they want to do when they when you write something you want to entertain people but you want to change them in a way and you want them to be better people at least that's what i think a good writer does everything that you write has a message even though you don't write because it has a message you write to entertain people but you need to have something in this in the core that's meaningful for people to really walk out of your film and say, yeah, okay, I get it. You know, I, I need to think about that. I mean, if here's two films that we just saw recently, and, and everybody is, these have been highly successful films, Barbie and Oppenheimer. All right, both of those films, completely different kinds of film, completely different kinds of filmmaking, completely different kinds of uh, directors. Both had major messages embedded in both of those films that lent weight to the films. I mean, Barbie is very fluffy and very visually incredibly good, but there's a, there are messages in it. Oppenheimer was a long film and usually long films can be boring, but it wasn't boring. It was very engaging and there is a message there. There's a message in both those films. I'm not going to say what it is, but there are actually, there are many messages in each of those films. But the idea is Writers are the people that start everything for a film. And if the writer is not schooled in how to write a film, it's probably not going to turn out well. So a, a writer has to think about it and has to construct it and has to follow through and has to have meaning in the film for it to really affect its audience. Even something like, I, we mentioned Blair Witch before, even something like Blair Witch has meaning you can think of any good film will have meaning. Bad films don't necessarily have meaning, and that's the problem. That's why they're bad films. They don't have meaning. They don't have structure sometimes. They don't have good actors. They don't have good directors, whatever. But the basic element in the film is the writing. And if you don't have that, you don't have it. The movie Billy Bob Thornton wrote, I'm trying to, the name is escaping me right now. 
I know the one you mean. He uh, talks gosh. like this, you know. <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. I like the way you talk. Yeah. I, I love the story in that it's it's probably not similar to of mice and men, but it reminds me of mice and men. He's just he's mm-hmm. not real bright, but he can be destructive in to do what he thinks is the right thing. I think that's some brilliant writing. Another movie that I think has some of the best writing is My Cousin Vinny. <laughs> it's <laughs> funny you mentioned that. It's just tight. I love that film. And, you know, a lot of people poo-pooed that film, but there was some great acting in that, great story, and great meaning. It's one of the few movies that I, I've watched it a dozen times, and it just seems to be no loopholes, no... Everything just goes together. Kudos to the writers on that. Before yeah. we let you go, let's plug your books. Okay. It's called Rewrite, Strengthen Structure, Characters, and Drama in Your Screenplay. Okay. It's published by MWP, Michael Weesey Productions. That is about structure. Obviously, it's about structure, but it's also about meaning. Uh, it's about character development. It's about all the things that you need to make a good script. And then I've written another book that was based on a blog that I was writing for um, a couple of years. And it's called 39 Steps to Better Screenwriting. That's available as a Kindle on Amazon.com. And it's also published by MWP, uh, Michael Weesey Productions. You can go to uh, MWP.com to get it. That is very short essays on film and television that will f- help you focus on certain things, certain elements that are not in my other book. Uh, and also, it's easy reading, so you can keep it uh, in the smallest room in the house if you like. Okay. Do you have a website? I do. The website, is, I haven't updated it recently, but the website mainly deals with my uh, seminars, my two-week seminars. But it's it also has uh, some other things that are interesting. It's called RewriteMentor.com. RewriteMentor.com. You can also go to RewriteGuy.com if you can't remember Mentor. Really appreciate you taking the time to be on the podcast today. Thank you, Forrest.